to another evening. That was a really weird opener. I apologize for that. I'm not quite sure <laughs> what my brain was doing there. Um, but yes, welcome again. I'm Danny. As always, you can find me on Instagram as Blotted Ink Books and over on TikTok uh, as a Novel Evening Podcast. Um, and yes, hello, welcome again to another episode. And I'm super excited. Uh, this week, I'm being joined by the absolutely delightful Louise Swanson. Um, you're in for an absolute treat with this episode. She is just so lovely. And her novel, End of Story, I mean, I love I love a dystopian read, first and foremost. But I love a dystopian read that is all about the power of books. I mean, could anything speak to me more? Uh, the answer is no. Um, and she's also releasing a non-fiction called 18 Seconds um, under her other pen name, Louise Beach. Um, which we are also going to delve into um, completely different. Um, so I'm super excited to chat with her about kind of the process of writing two such different uh, books. So tune in, have a listen. Let's welcome Louise uh, to a novel evening. And a massive hello to Louise. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? You. And you, it's so nice to be able to do this over Zoom and be able to talk to people all over the place. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, a lot of events do live streams as well now since COVID, don't they? So you get people yeah. from all over the world at events. Yeah, it's perfect. And the thing is, I'm quite far out. I'm down in Devon. So for me, getting places is a is a bit of a ball ache. So it's nice when you can do stuff remotely because it's a lot. I don't know whereabouts you are, but travel can be such a pain. I am just outside Hull. So I am literally the opposite end to you. <laughs> the same. Just the same. Yes, yeah. we have to come all the way down to do all the London lovely stuff. Exactly. It's all the travel and stuff. So to be able to do it remotely is so, and especially in the winter when maybe you don't want to be trekking about in the rain and the cold. I think it's perfect. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's been great for me with the podcast because obviously you are miles away from me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, literally. We, we went to Devon last year on holiday and I swear it took us about seven or eight hours. So you really are miles from me. Wow. But we both have sunshine. So that's something we've both got, which I know up north is sometimes a rarity, right? Mm. It is. We just literally, I swear to God, it could be December and minus five. But if the sunshine were in the garden in our bikinis. <laughs> you take what you can get when yeah. you live up north. You're out there. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me. I'm very excited to chat all about, firstly, End of Story, which is very recently released. How does that feel that your book is out there in the world? It's always, every single time, a little bit scary um a lot exciting and always very surreal because just to think of these houses in the land where people might actually have my book in their house is really crazy yeah I can't I can't even imagine how it feels to know people are you know picking up your words your words just live in their house yeah oh I like that my words live in their house (laughs) I'm stealing that there you go steal it (laughs) have it (laughs) and the thing is End of story really is all about the power of words, right? It really is. It's an ode to stories and books, but in a dark way. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. Um, yeah, it, it it was born because, so I began it when we were in the final lockdown of 2020, the worst one, the one where yep. we were we were fed up. We didn't want to bake bread anymore. We didn't want to do Zoom anymore. We were just done, weren't we? Yep. And so... It was around the time when Rishi Sunak, who wasn't the prime minister then, said that those of us in the arts should maybe just retrain because obviously the theatres were shut and musicians couldn't play. 
And I was really angry because I just thought it's the arts that has got us through lockdown, you know, watching films, reading books, listening to music. That's all the arts, even Netflix. That's the arts, you know. And I, I just thought, what would we have done otherwise? And so I began to really think about this and really try and imagine a world without basically stories, fiction. And I was telling my husband, you know, this, and he said, well, why don't you write it? And I thought, yeah, why don't I write it? And I realised it would probably have to be a slightly dystopian book, just slightly set in the future. And so that's where the idea came from. And yes, for me, and probably you as a reader too, that is a horror story in my oh, opinion. absolutely. Isn't it? The worst. Um, so yeah, I create this future world with this uh, writer called Fern Dostoy, who once upon a time was one of the best-selling authors and now all fiction has been banned. And one of her books kind of contributed to that because she explored um, something quite topical about the NHS. So you can tell it was a COVID book. Yep. Because all these little things are coming in. And one of the biggest things that came to me when I started writing it was what would it do to children if they couldn't have fairy tales? You've got small children, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Do they love having stories read? Oh, I mean, obviously my books are... I have a fairly sizable bookshelf. My children have basically a library. Oh. Books are such an important part of, you know, I love reading. And when I was a child, books really were like my escapism. I don't know what I'd have done as a child without books. And my kids love them. Yeah, that that was exactly it. I just thought, what what would we do with the children in the evening? I mean, I know a lot of them use phones and things like that now, but you cannot be snuggling up together, having stories. Because I did a bit of research about that when I was writing it, about how important it is it's the aspect of bonding and yep. your children feeling safe and there might be things in those stories that encourages them to talk about certain things that you might not do otherwise and so in the novel I create this um, underground illegal um, sort of helpline called bedtime stories where children can ring and get a bedtime story I love I love <laughs> that idea so much I mean it's just I love it. It's so Me too. <laughs> well, I've volunteered before at various helplines. Samaritans is one of them. And I always thought that, wow, what, you know, what if there were children nowadays, maybe, where the parents couldn't afford books for whatever reason, because it does happen. A lot of children in our country, you know, with the poverty we have, don't have books, bless them. And I thought, even then, I just thought in the real world now, what, what if there was somewhere they could ring to get a story, a bit like Samaritans, but you're getting a story. Um, to be fair, I'll admit to you, as an adult, I'd probably ring. I don't know about oh, you. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. When I can't sleep on an evening, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so Fern meets um, a young boy called Hunter when she's volunteering at Bedtime Stories, reading the stories to the children. And I can't say too much about Hunter. All I can say is that I try and make clear through the book that I, I want the reader to sort of question who is he really to Fern? Is she imagining him? Is she making him up for us in her diary as she tells this story? You know, what, what's this curious yeah. bond that she and Hunter have? But yeah, I can't say much more than that. <laughs> no, and it's it's so fascinating. You know, it is a dystopian story, but it's so easy to imagine it as real. And it really is about the kind of the psychological effect that would have, you know, when you don't have fiction, when you can't turn to stories it's that idea of what do you do? Yeah. What do you do when you don't have that escapism? You know, and so many of us, like you say, you know, when we were in lockdown, 
I mean, Netflix was booming. There was a reason we were all trying to escape into films and TV shows. And, you know, I read more during lockdown, I think, than I've ever, ever read. And like, like you say, when you're told, you know, just retrain, the arts have such a place for people. I'm a film student as well. I'm at university studying oh. film. Um, <laughs> bold choice straight after lockdown to like, actually, I'm going to go and study the arts. <laughs> That's what I'm going to go do. But like you say, it's it's people forget that storytelling is the oldest form in, in the world. We've been telling stories for centuries, for millennia. Oh, God, yes. I mean, cavemen drew their stories on caves. We've always expressed it, haven't we? We've always... It's like it's a tool where perhaps if something's too difficult to talk about it, you can tell stories. So you're not directly talking about it, but you're getting it off your chest. You're hearing it in a story. So, so powerful. And obviously, you know, the book's out now and then we're having these cases, aren't we? Of yeah. Books in America. Jodie Picoult shared a post recently on Twitter that some of her books have been banned in libraries. I mean, her books. Why are her books being banned? It's wild. It's absolutely wild. And, you know, it's the freedom of speech thing again, isn't it? You know, you should be able to put pen to paper and people don't have to agree with your words, but they also don't have to buy them or rent them. Yeah. Or... It's, it's choice, isn't it? You, we don't need to ban anything. Like you say, you know, if I go into a bookshop and I don't want to read X book, then, then I won't buy it and I won't read it, but I'm not bothered if somebody else wants to read yeah. it. Yeah, I completely agree. And it is a scarily uh, easy to imagine future that you've created. It's all too easy to see how that can spiral as well. Like you say, one book can be written that explores themes that other people aren't happy with, who are in the powers that be, and suddenly you can see how it would snowball. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's always a theme. I realise that I've explored in my stories. Like my debut book, um, How to Be Brave, was about when it, real life circumstance where my seven-year-old daughter got diagnosed with type one diabetes. We nearly lost her. It was a horrible time. And she, she came to a point where she refused the injections that she had to have. And I mean, if you, you know, yep. it, you have to have them. And it was a horrendous time and we were trying to persuade her and we had to blackmail her and all sorts and it didn't work. And in the end, told her stories in exchange for the injection. And I, I ended up telling her the true story of my granddad who was lost at sea during the war. He was on a lifeboat for 50 days till he was finally rescued. And we shared this story while I gave her the injections. And it was, it really was a little bit magic because she completely forgot about the pain of the injections. And after like, we did it for about maybe four weeks, I was nervous about coming to the end of the story thinking, yeah. I'm gonna say, don't want the injections again. <laughs> but she literally said, if my granddad, my great granddad can be that brave at sea, then I can have the injections. Oh. And it was, oh, it really was magic. And I knew that had to be in a book. And that is literally the life-saving power of Story. telling stories. So it's yeah. it's always a theme. I'll probably slightly always explore in books because it's um, it's one close to my heart. And you have, coming very shortly, you have got a non-fiction that you've also written. So 18 Seconds is due out. It's due out this month, right? It's a week today. Wow, it's 27th wow. of April for the for the listeners in case we pass that date 27th of April I know oh my goodness and tell me about this story because it's obviously a very personal story to you tell me firstly what motivated you to write this and what is your story about um I had always thought I would like to write a memoir um I had I had a very um let's call it a traumatic childhood with lots of upheaval I had parents with mental health issues alcoholism there was abuse in the house 
my mum attempted suicide a few times and we, we my brother got fostered and we sisters went to live with my grandma so there was a lot of upheaval and I always thought I'd I'd like to write that down maybe because other people might identify and feel that that's their story <laughs> that's their story too. absolutely yeah I can absolutely relate <laughs> wow okay so people like you then who would identify but I always wondered what angle I would come at it from because as a storyteller I knew I kind of needed a hook, shall we say, an angle to come at it. And also I felt like maybe I had to get to a certain age of maturity, you know, just, just where I've lived. And also at first I didn't know if I'd write it while my mother was still alive because I knew in being truthful it would reveal maybe some not favourable aspects of her and all of these things. But then in 2019... My mum, she jumped off the Hummer Bridge, which is a huge bridge near us. She did survive. I always say that very quickly for people. Uh, But she was left with life-changing injuries. She's now a wheelchair user. It was, you know, six months of of intense um, therapy and surgery and recovery. And so maybe about nine months after that, and obviously a horrendous time for all the family, and I can't help it, the storyteller in me genuinely thought, that's the hook you know if I opened a book where it began with that I would read on and and I knew that that was my opening so I kind of told the story very present and what was going on with my mum and the recovery and all of that with lots of flashbacks to our childhood and at first it was called daffodils it's now called 18 seconds which I can explain why but it was originally called daffodils because on the morning that this happened I I usually go for, I usually go for a walk for about an hour near the river, which is good for my mental health. At about ten, and that day my husband had a parcel coming, and he said, "Would you go now? Because uh, you're not going to be in all day, and I'll stay at home and go to work late." And I'm like, "It's February, it's eight a.m., and you want me to go for a walk now?" I was like, "All right, I will." So I went to eight a.m. Yeah, <laughs> on the river in the fog, it's barely light, and there were these gorgeous daffodils, just this couple like nowhere else so this is February and I was so stunned I was like wow they're stunning and, and I don't know why it just felt like a moment I took a picture and I thought share it on Instagram later like you do and I never did because I got the phone call and had I not gone earlier and had I not stopped at the daffodils I might have walked past when my mother jumped wow. off the bridge so the daffodils stayed with me and so I researched daffodils and each chapter's got a little opening expl- with a little different thing about facts about daffodils, poems about daffodils. Um, and the only reason it changed, it was the audio book was called Daffodils. Then it's going to be paperback 18 seconds. They just wanted a different title because it's a different cover. Yeah. And there's a chapter in there called 18 seconds, which my mum once said to me when she was very depressed. She said, I wish someone could just be in my head for 18 seconds so that they would know how it feels. And I just thought, wow, if you could be inside anybody's head for 18 seconds, you'd probably feel and see everything you'd need to know to know what that person feels like. So I I just realised that that was the title that kind of fits. So, yeah. And I, you know, reflecting on my own childhood and very much like you, I've always felt that that's something that one day I would want to write about. Was it a cathartic process to put pen to paper and be able to put that out there? Or did you find it quite difficult to be able to work through that? A bit of both, yes. Um, I'm a really hard worker who writes every day, but I have to admit with that one, if there were days when I didn't really feel strong enough, I didn't make myself because I thought this is different. This is not a made up story. I, I was kind to myself, shall we say. I looked after myself. 
but yes it was um it was intense um and I started it just before lockdown but halfway through lockdown happened so then I'm suddenly writing it in those circumstances so I had to be very 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 extra caring towards myself you know like wow to be writing that and then you come out of that and you're in this world of of lockdown so it it was weird I I did use um it's very it's like piecing something together because I used we all I've got um, two sisters and a brother and we all got our care records from the council to help because there's a lot we don't remember and there's a lot that kind of a mother doesn't tell us hashtag sorry stroke doesn't remember so we got our care records and um, there's a lot that's blacked out redacted right so it's really weird it was like building a jigsaw with um the facts in there and then these great big pages where everything's blacked out and I'm like I wonder what's under there what what's that about yeah. uh do you know what I mean it was yeah it, it was mysteries yeah that are there yeah, yeah so there are parts in the book where I had to admit that I don't remember this right I only maybe remember a feeling or there's a knowledge of knowing it happened but I can't quite remember it and I had to sort of explain that sometimes yeah it's that's the thing isn't it and also you know you're it's a child's memory but it's also a traumatized child's memory so there's things that you block out there's things that you mm-hmm. can't quite grab and things you don't want to remember so you have buried mm-hmm. them deep in there and yeah. as you say you're a week away from the book being released how does that feel it must feel very different to your fiction yeah it, it does um this one really feels like it's literally my baby like yeah. the, all my books feel like that they all feel like they're my children do you know what I mean but this one almost feels like it feels like maybe um a child who's maybe got extra special needs genuinely yeah. where you've got to be more uh, I don't know more attentive and there's more emotion attached to that one so so I mean so far the early copies that have gone out and it's on NetGalley I have had I, I tell you honestly I've sometimes I've sat and cried I've had the loveliest messages from mainly women to be fair but the odd man mainly women who have tricky relationships with their mothers who've said nobody talks about this and I'm so glad you have because it's such a taboo that we can't we are not supposed to talk badly about our mothers no matter who they are and what they've done we're not supposed to say it but they said you have you haven't been unkind you know you can see that you're trying to find the good in her but you've been honest and and so that makes me feel glad that I, I did do it you know and do you feel you know I don't know if your family members your siblings will read the book if you know how does it feel that they they probably will read about yeah they um they actually read it as I went because I wanted them to be part of it because I wanted them to be able well basically in the end I asked them all the certain scenes I said will you give me your version how you remember it because you're writing their story as well inadvertently it's still their version of a story and how they see things yeah that's yeah honestly I did so they they transcribed in little whatsapp voice notes they would send that to me and then I wrote it up. And so there are little paragraphs here, there and everywhere of actually their their words because wow. I just I just wanted them to be part of it, you know, and um, and so they are. So it, it's kind of a family affair, so to speak. So, yes, they, they've they already read it. They read it as we went and they helped me. With, you know, there were certain things where I couldn't remember and I'd say, do you remember that? What 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 about that? And they would they would tell me. So, so my children haven't read it yet. Uh, they admit it's because they, they, I think they think it would make them sad do you, do you know yeah. what I mean to really yeah. hear that about their mother 
Uh, my daughter's a mental health nurse, which I'm really proud of. And, and I know it's my family that is why, because of what um, we've always that's taught. A beautiful, that's a beautiful yeah. legacy, though, that that's, that's what that's led to. That's wonderful. It's wonderful, isn't it? I, I think it's because we've always been very open in the family about mental health because it's a huge part of our family. And so because of that, I remember she was she was 16 when she knew. I can remember we were sitting um, at the table, funny enough, just behind me. And she literally said, Mum, I know what I want to do. And I said, what? She said, I want to go into some form of therapy or counselling on mental health. That is what I want to do. And she did a degree and she's a mental health nurse. That's incredible. That's incredible. But I imagine for her, it's a very much if she was to read this, she's looking at it through two brains, isn't she? It's very much she's looking at it through her profession, but also as your daughter, which is it's yeah. probably very difficult yeah she did say she said I don't know if I'm in a good enough place maybe yet to, to she's only 23 yeah. you know so maybe in years to come she will uh and I think my son it's just the same he's a bit older he yeah just maybe a protective element of our you know mum we we don't like to think of you being say vulnerable or young because obviously to them I'm not particularly you know I'm, yeah. I'm just <laughs> yeah, mum that's what but, that's the yeah. role we take on you become yeah. mum and you're you're a superhero then you know you've yeah you become mum but also like you say you know it's a reflection on your own mother who also was a child once and was also yeah. a teenager and a young woman once and I think somewhere yeah. along the line you sort of forget that your parents were young yeah, they do. I mean, yeah. you wait till yours get older, honestly. <laughs> I swear to God, they they literally think that I I never was, you know, a teenager or in my 20s. They, they do, honestly, they patronise you and you're like, I have been there. I have done that. I can I remember doing that to my mum as a teenager. My mum would tell me something. I'd be like, you know nothing. You don't know anything. And you, she'd look at me and she'd be like, like you tried to sneak out. She'd be like, I was you. There's nothing yeah. you can do. I haven't been there and done exactly yeah I know but we all do it we, we all it. do it and and, I, and and I said to my daughter and my son your kids will do it to you one day yeah I'm right there I'm in the trenches of it my yeah. kids are only six and four I oh. mean my daughter is six going on 16 and she'll <laughs> do things like she started sneaking down at night to steal food when she thinks mostly my food my like goodies that I've hidden <laughs> and I always think I've been you're not smarter than me and I sort of think maybe you are smarter than me they probably are yeah. pro don't tell them that though <laughs> oh never I will never admit that but they do things that I think you I don't know if you are smarter than me and if, if I've just forgotten what it was like to be a kid because I was quite a sneaky kid as well because I had to be <laughs> I had to learn how to you know hide at tops of stairs and listen into things and, yeah and so sometimes I look and I think oh it's karma it's a little bit of karma I think it comes around yeah probably is <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for the teenage years I'm owed big time <laughs> my teenage years look I think it's incredibly brave of you to put your story out there um I really look forward to reading it um again I think it's going to be very relatable for a lot of people um and well done for writing that especially through a lockdown especially oh. through you know, three lockdowns and everything yeah. that's come in I know. <laughs> God, yeah. Hopefully, we're done with all. Hopefully, God, it, it feels like a fever dream at this point. I think, yeah. I, it's like, was there a twenty twenty? Did we actually do that? Crazy, crazy. Madness. Yeah. Look, so I know you're a book lover now. We know you love stories. So mm -hmm. I'm very excited to see what you're going to bring to your novel evening, mm -hmm. and what you're going to conjure up for us. So I always start by asking where we're going to go for your evening. Okay. 
We are going to go to Hollywood in the 1950s. Are you ready for this? Beautiful. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I just, I love that whole era. It's the golden age of Hollywood. Scandals and beauty and, oh, excess. Brilliant. (laughs) I'm there. Wonderful. So we're both in our lovely 50s outfits with uh, where they used to still wear gloves and people still wore hats. And And proper jewellery. Lovely curled hair, matte red lipstick, looking really good. And we are actually going to go to a specific restaurant, which is still exists, but it's called something different now. So we're going to go to a restaurant called Villa Nova, which is on the Sunset Strip. The reason we're going to go there is because that is where Marilyn Monroe went for her first date with Joe DiMaggio. And I, I have been there 10 years ago. It's now called the Rainbow Bar and Grill. And I have sat in that exact booth. And I literally had the drink that they had, which was vermouth, and it's not very nice. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, <laughs> you next put it down. Yeah. So it's now it's kind of a rock bar. It's weird. It's it's now got, like, signed posters and guitars, and it's It's dingy. really famous, isn't it, the rainbow? Yeah, yeah it's really <laughs> famous. They have a lot of gigs and stuff. But, yeah, it's so funny how it's gone from, like, that to there. <laughs> yeah. It was, like, a lovely Italian restaurant, and I think... I read that they they sat in a certain booth. They had they drank for move. She was apparently two hours late. He was almost going to leave. That <laughs> doesn't surprise me. I mean, no, me neither. <laughs> if anyone can get away with being two hours late to a date, I think it's Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, and he did wait. So, <laughs> oh, to be a fly on the wall and listening on that date. I know. Well, apparently she didn't want to go because he was like a big superstar baseball player she thought he'd be really arrogant and loud yeah. and he actually was very shy and so when she arrived she was pleasantly surprised that he he wasn't what she thought and so it, yeah apparently they did stay quite a while and and, they, and it worked and and they liked okay. each other so and we're so, going to take a booth in this restaurant then yes so the one they had actually is big enough i'd say for about six um having sat in it so let's book that booth and let's maybe, we're definitely inviting Marilyn. Oh my word, I'd love to meet her. So she's coming. Yeah. So many questions. <laughs> yes. So many questions. Oh God me. Oh wow. I would be there probably 12 hours asking. <laughs> well, the first one I'd have to ask, what did actually happen to you? Yeah. Tell us that so we can finally yeah. put all oh. the conspiracy to rest. Can you imagine actually being able to ask and actually yeah. find out the truth? Yeah. Oh my word. Oh, wouldn't that be something? And I'd love to just ask her about her life because she was such an intelligent woman as well. And that's the thing. It was so played down. You know, she everyone's sort of the dumb blonde thing. There was nothing dumb yeah. about Marilyn. She was incredibly savvy. Yeah, yeah. You don't get to where she got because she's another one we like you'll identify with like me. She was a girl who went through the foster system, had an absent mother, an absent father. She had no money, no education, was married off to the boy next door at 16. And she, off her own will and her, and her own doing, got to be the most famous woman in the world. Yeah. I mean, pure steel. Yeah, absolutely. That takes something. Like you said, she, was, she wasn't she was educated, but she was savvy, clever. She was sharp. She was very funny. Very, she very was funny not woman. treated well by the, the male industry of Hollywood. You know, she was... But you have to have, I mean, you know, it's really sad with her later years, but you have to have a will of iron to be able to withstand that. Yeah, you you absolutely do. And I do think it broke her a little bit. And I think that's why in the later years, 
obviously there were the pills to sleep, the pills to wake up, the pills to work like 18 hour shifts, um, the pressure to remain beautiful when you're yes. naturally getting older, you know, and you, it, it must have actually got horrible at the end, I think. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And I think she needs a fun night out. If anyone deserves it, yeah. it's Marilyn. Well, she's going to have fun because you're going to absolutely die laughing at my next guest because it's nothing to do with that era or anything. Okay. But I really would love to have Deirdre Barlow there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, with her glasses. Yeah, I love, I miss Deirdre. I miss Deirdre. She was my favourite Coronation Street character. And I always felt like she knew she was a bit funny and yeah. there was always a glint in her eye when she was saying certain lines. I just felt like she knew she was a bit of a comedian. Yeah. She was, she entertained us, didn't she? With her, um, I don't know, with her, yeah, the big glasses and the oh, big necklaces and the belts. Yeah. So Coronation Street was always with my grandparents. That was always their nightly. We'd Emmerdale on Coronation Street. I'd have my bath first because I'd have to be bathed and out of the bath and I'd sit with my grandparents. We'd watch it. And I can remember when she had the affair with the shopkeeper guy, the shop yeah. owner guy. And yeah. I remember when the, there was the free Deirdre movement. Yeah. And everyone was wearing t-shirts. And and I can't even think how old I am. I must've been so young, but that's really stuck with me as like a pivotal part of my childhood. Yeah. Oh, wow. enraged people were that Deirdre Barlow was in prison. Absolutely. I mean, she was a wanton woman because there was that affair. There was the affair with, um, I've gone blank of his name now. The guy, oh, in, in the 80s. I've gone, you know, this is, sadly, this is menopause. <laughs> this is menopause. It'll come to me in a minute. Um, anyway, she had a major affair then. She she had the young man called Samia, who she met on holiday in the Oh, yeah, 80s. yeah, yeah. She had him. Oh, she was a goer. She was a goer, was the was intrigue. So. <laughs> she really so was. And she, I mean, I think her and Marilyn would actually get on like a house on fire. I think they would. Yeah, I really think they'd have lots Which of Which I never about. thought I'd say those words. <laughs> well you're going to laugh even more because we're going to stick with that era but we're going to move to England right. and I really really love now this is going to throw the cat amongst the pigeons this is more of a curiosity thing my other two guests are the craze <laughs> oh Marilyn and the craze now I I think because obviously Barbara Windsor used to hang about with them in that era, didn't yeah. she? I think if they'd if Marilyn had lived or been in the UK, I bet they'd have crossed paths. I bet because they'd have they'd have had her in the clubs, wouldn't they? So oh, they'd absolutely. have crossed paths, and I think they would have revered her and like really. I here's the irony. I actually think someone like the Crays. Yes, they were criminals. They did some horrific things. I think they would have probably treated her better than people like the Kennedys and. Oh. who were apparently respectable, they would have treated her better than the Kennedys. I think the thing is with the Kennedys, it's almost like the opposite. They wore their respectability on the outside and did some things that were not very pleasant at all. I mean, their poor sister, and there was all sorts of stuff going on. Yeah. Whereas the Crays wore their villainy on the outside. Yeah. You knew what you were getting with the Crays. And if you made the decision yeah. to go in there, then so be it. But you knew what you were going to get. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, usually when they did something, it was in response to something. I'm not excusing it. I'm never excusing yeah. violence. And they were, they, I mean, they loved their mother, didn't they? Oh my God, you know, no one could touch their mother or or, or any females, to be fair, although they were yeah. quite controlling of, well. Yeah, um, they were not ideal partners, so I'll just say. You know, yeah, hashtag just saying, yeah. Yeah, you don't be married, married to a cray. But I think Marilyn would have, 
I think they'd have swayed her. But also, she did like she liked a dangerous lad. She was, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think there'd have been a connection. So I'd be curious to watch how that played out. And then Deirdre Bala, who knows what she? She'd have ended up with Cray. Let's face it. Or she'd <laughs> end up with one of the waiters in the Italian restaurant. Uh, she would, because she did. Oh yeah, it'd be like Samia Martin. <laughs> Oh, my word. She would absolutely. She'd have her big glasses on and a huge chunky necklace with a nice 50s gown. And she'd wow. be up with some young waiter. This is a night to remember. I can see the it, pictures now. Really... <laughs> oh, my word. I can... It, it, I've never thought I'd picture this so vividly in my head. <laughs> I know. I feel like I want to draw it. Maybe I'll draw it later. Yeah. My sister's oh, good at drawing. Oh, do it. Do <laughs> it. It sounds that's... like a fever dream. Definitely. I mean, I think that's all for my guests. It's weird. Um, one of your questions I saw was, who would you not have there? And we've said, but the Kennedys, I wouldn't invite them if Marilyn was there. I'd be like, no, nope, you're not coming. There's Thank something you. about the Kennedys. I know, you know, JFK is like revered, but there's just yeah. dark family history. Yeah. There's some skeletons. I mean, poor Rosemary Kennedy and what they got up to there. And it's just... Oh, God, yeah. They were up to all sorts, them boys. They really were. Oh, God, yes. But they were uh, good yeah. looking and they had money. And unfortunately, in that era in America, that's all you really needed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no Kennedys allowed. I mean, poor Jackie Kennedy as well. I mean. I know. I know. I know. Um, and and I, I feel like, curiously, Jackie and Marilyn, if they met, would have actually got on. Yeah, I agree, actually. And I think they would have got on and they would have maybe put, the you know, the Kennedys aside you know, woman to woman. Yeah. I think they might have got on, which is kind of sad, really. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think actually there were some similarities between the two of them. You know, Jackie had to, the things she had to hear about her husband in public and still have to go on with her. Mm. And same with Marilyn, you know, her whole life was just splashed about yeah. everywhere. And I think yeah. actually they were quite similar in a lot of ways. They were. And, and you know what is sad? You might think, oh, we've come far. That's not happening. We haven't. It still happens to women in the press. Yeah. You know, oh. look at, oh, my God. I mean, Diana, Meghan Markle. Um, there was a great documentary about Paula Yates and all, all the press that she Oh, I so today. want to watch that. Because and I mean, Pamela Anderson. Yes. I watched her documentary the other day, and it's, in, it's absolutely incredible. It's maybe one of the yeah. best documentaries I've ever seen. But, I mean, she was absolutely hung out to dry. She was completely, and and what a lovely woman. Because I always think judge someone by the way that her sons looked at her and spoke oh, to her. Yeah. I was just like, they adore her. She's obviously a wonderful mother. She, I just want us to be friends with her. I don't know about you. I just yeah, like, oh, oh no, exactly the same. She just seems so nice. And you know, like Anna Nicole Smith. You look at her life, Gosh. and I mean, she was. It was very similar. I mean, she looked so much like Marilyn as well. But the things yeah. that were said about her and. It happens in cycles. And I know people think we've come such a long way, as you say, but we really haven't. No, we, 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 women are still really held much more accountable if they slip up, shall we say. You know, if a woman has an affair, it's huge and it's scandalous and she's, you know, she's vile. Men, oh, just a bit of a playboy. You know, kind of not... what they, yeah, it's kind of what they do. You know, there's still a very boys will be boys kind of yeah. attitude. And I mean, that was very much what they said about the Kennedys, wasn't it? Well, they're just, it's what they do. I know. And yeah. Yeah. So that is my meal out. I we will love have it. fun. We'll drink I... your mouth. We'll, 
um we'll have snacks and we'll have a good time oh i love it this is such a fun evening and i think your guests are inspired <laughs> <laughs> and i oddly can see them all getting on really well which is very bizarre um but i love it and thank, thank you. you thank you for sharing and before i let you go and enjoy the rest of the sunshine i have to ask if you're reading anything at the moment i am i usually have a couple on the go because i get quite a few proofs to read for review yeah. Um, so I just finished a book called The Treatment by Sarah Moorhead. Oh my God, that was so good. It's a, it's a bit dystopian. I, I'm sort of getting into those in a big way. Yep. And it, it doesn't come out till August, so it was an early copy, but you can obviously uh, pre-order if you want to. So it's a slightly future world where they're trying to stop crimes happening. So they have tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four. And there are certain things they do in these tiers, like it begins light if you're just a light criminal with some counselling. The next one is some aversion therapy and they build up and they build up. I don't want to reveal too much. Yeah. But it's kind of about how we deal with crime. You know, are we born bad? Do we become bad? Bad's a weird word, of course. Yeah. Really, really good. So that's one to look out for. Um, I'm just about to start Christina Doucher's new one. She wrote Vox. Yes. I absolutely loved She's got a new one. It is called, it's not in front of me. I'm so sorry. I can't remember what it's called. It's in the other room, but it's it's coming out um, in two months, I think. I think in June. And I've got that on my pile. I'm about to start. And I'm just beta reading John Mars's new one, which no one will have read yet because I'm, I'm a beta reader. We read each other's before they come, you know, before they're- I'm actually right next to me. I'm reading for my book club, The Vacation by wow. John Mars. So I have it at the moment. So that's very exciting. Yeah. And, the, and it's really, all I'm going to say is it's in the vein of like the one and the marriage act. Ooh. Really good. So look out for that one. Oh, that's very, that's a little- that's a little bit of a sneaky peek there. That's very <laughs> exciting. Well, thank you so, so much, Louise. This has been so much fun. And thank you for being so honest and, and sharing with me. It's been, it's been wonderful. Absolute pleasure, honestly. It's lightened my morning. <laughs> thank you so much. And have a lovely <laughs> rest of your day. You too, my love. Take lots of care. <laughs>